I think everybody knows that the climate is changing. Everybody knows that there's enough pollution everywhere. Everybody knows that the, that the rivers are gone, right? So um, I think the gap is that they don't understand the impact of, uh, you know, or, or enough information about why that is happening because the blame is still that the industries are doing it. These big people are doing it. Nobody's saying, you know, I'm doing it every day. You know, 30 liters of undiluted toxic waste from each household every year. Okay, you're on. Am I audible? Am I, am I, do I sound like you can hear me clearly? Why can't you see me? I can't see you too well, but I can hear you. Wave your hand. Yes, I see you move. I see you move. It works. Yay! Nobody move. <laughs> Nobody move from whenever they are. Everybody, all of you are in the right place. <laughs> So this is uh, take 16, no, 17, 17 of uh, Stories with Shastri. I have Anu Sarothya coming on board today. And uh, Anu is someone I've known for a couple of years. And she, uh, she's been a neighbor and a friend, a very dear friend of mine. And uh, she ended up quitting her job to actually uh, live sustainably and help other people understand what it means and she started her own organization so let's talk to her a little more to find out what it means to actually go zero waste what living sustainably actually means because i don't know i mean i understand it a little bit but not very much i'm just about to join add her to this hi hello how, how are, are you? you i'm, I'm good. good did you see the rains yesterday i did they trained the whole night it was nice. wonderful. Yeah. I was worried about my plants, but they all survived and I think they liked the rain. Yeah, I think mine did too. So <laughs> I about that happening. Yeah, I so, can see a lot of flowers as well today, so good. Really? Yeah. So I really do, yeah. <laughs> so, could you tell my listeners a little more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So, I'm Anu and um, I live in Pune. I'm based in Pune. Uh, what I do, um, I'm an environmental sustainability activist, if I can call myself that. Um, never intended to be one, but I think organically it happened. Um, so I run an organization called Swadharini, Conscious Hero. And uh, essentially, we take a three-pronged approach uh, to sustainability. It's a very empathetic approach, not just to the environment and the ecosystems, but also to humans. So typically what we would say is that if you're an activist, activist or um, you know, if you, if you really believe in sustainability or environment, you're either this or that. Uh, but um, it's about marrying the two and seeing you know, what, what, what's the best way forward. So as for Darini, we run a lot of education and awareness sessions and what sustainability really is because there are different uh, definitions to it and the way people understand this. It is very different. Uh, for example, there would be sustainability for the urban population and there's also sustainability for the rural population. So, and they're two different things. There could be sustainability of a process, there could also be sustainability of a product. So, um, so, you know, getting everyone to understand what sustainability really means and essentially help people reduce their impact on the environment from home. So understanding what sustainability could mean to individuals 
and how they can actually help, uh, how they can reduce their own negative impact or the consequences of their everyday actions on the environment. So there's a lot of education and awareness that happens uh, through that. The second thing is that, you know, um, Manu and I are involved in developing a modern eco-farm outside of Pune, and uh, it's called us having an eco-farm. And uh, we're building it using permaculture practices and principles. Uh, so the idea is to have a self-sustaining ecosystem. You can call it an off-grid kind of a setup, uh, where people can actually experience natural living and sustainable living. That you know, it's not just a concept, but people can actually you know touch, feel, see, live that kind of a lifestyle. So that's the second bit of Sudhavani. And the third bit is, of course, you know, it's not easy. We, do, we did realize over the period of time that, you know, it's not easy for everyone to lead a sustainable lifestyle. It could be the situations, the circumstances. Um, it could be one's own, uh, you know, limited ability to actually adopt practices. So, you know, how do you make the switch easy and simple for them? So these are alternatives that we've come up with, that you just, you know, use those alternatives and you can get started from home right from the word go. So essentially that. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, in the past, I've been an HR professional for more than 17 years. Uh, I was working as an instruction designer and a learning consultant. Um, yeah, I worked with big corporates, but I think the heart was always with nature and, uh, you know, just looking to the sky. So I think this happened. What made you quit? You know, you did you just mm. wake up one day and said, "Okay, I'm not doing this anymore"? Mm. Or was, or what, what was that point for you where you realized that, "Okay, I need to stop"? You know, working for the corporates and doing something. Mm. It was a gradual process, actually, Sadhguru. Um, I think in, it started with Vedan. So after Vedan was born, um, you know, as a mother, you would a lot of us would identify. Uh, that you know, we we tend to be, become very protective. We want everything to be healthy. We want everything mm -hmm. to be safe, and we want everyone everything to be nice, and you know, to the best for the the best for the child. So I think it started from there. I started looking for alternatives, which were healthy options. So that's how it started, and then it moved to organic living, where we moved to organic produce and products. Then uh, we moved to you know, when I started reading up more about. Uh, ingredients and the practices with which all of these products are processed, whether it's home care or you know personal care or food or whatever, I realized that you know there's only so much that you can trust another brand or something which is available off the shelf. So then automatically I started doing a lot of DIY stuff, and yes. uh, so that then got into the zero waste living um, practices. And at the same time, I think about in 2013, we watched this um, documentary. Uh, it, it's about a family in California who's living, uh, you know, they're living on a 10,000 square feet uh, plot of land. And it's a family of four grown-ups. And it's a self-sustaining ecosystem where they're able to produce food, not just for themselves, but for, uh, they're able to supply to restaurants. And uh, they're trading their own fuel. Yeah, they're, they're off-grid. Um, they are the most water resistant and resilient, uh, so they have a crop all year round. So, you know, that really got us thinking that, you know, if this is what one needs and this is what we are striving for, then, you know, why not just go for it? So 2013 is when the journey started and I think, it, so since from then to now, we upskilled ourselves, you know, it's not as urban dwellers and people who've always lived in the city 
honestly, I knew nothing about gardening. I knew nothing about, you know, how to sow, what to do. I've just been to my village where, you know, my, so my side of the family, especially my dad's side of the family, they're all farmers. And a lot of them are still in the, uh, in the village and they're farming. So I would just go to the farm and, you know, enjoy the little, you know, harvesting and stuff. But other than that, no experience whatsoever. And I think the same went for Manu as well. So gradually we started experimenting. Our first experiment was a compost pit. You know, that was the simplest thing to do. And then um, we met a beautiful neighbor, Sudapai Aji. You know, so she was a huge inspiration. So I think we started meeting people along the journey who helped us understand more about this kind of lifestyle, help us with our experiments, and it was encouraging. And in 2019, finally, um, we kind of zeroed in on the farm. We said, okay, this is it. You know, we have to do it. But before that, we uh, studied about permaculture. We studied about creating natural ecosystems, mimicking forests, and so on. So that's how. So it's not been, uh, you know, we need to quit our job right now. Uh, it started in 2013. But we all, always knew that this is going to be plan A. And the job is going to be the plan B. Uh, and that's all. That sounds pretty nice. It's a very. I've seen you personally on this journey, so that's why I think um, I hold it close to my heart. But there's some things that even I have found myself, you know, not being able to learn in the sense. Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, for example, what does going zero waste exactly mean? Okay. Okay. So zero waste does not mean that you are not creating any waste. Okay. First of all, let me just clarify that. Zero waste essentially means that whatever waste that you're creating, you are reusing it, you are repurposing it, or you're making it input for something else. You're making it food for something else. So essentially, you're not sending anything to the landfill. You're not sending something away, you know, because there is no away. Everything is there in the planet. You're not sending it away. So, so that is zero waste lifestyle. And, in, and, and if you want to lead that particular lifestyle, it's very essential to also understand, you know, the kind of, you have to get into the, the details of what is it that you're using on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Because uh, when we look at everything from a day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, life, um, either it's man-made or it's nature-made, right? Like our fruits and vegetables, everything that we eat, it's all nature-based, right? So it comes from a natural system. And then the rest of the stuff, which is man-made, it comes from an industrial system. Right. Okay. Now, the thing with the natural system is that, you know, everything is designed in a very circular manner. Right. So the, if you look at the life cycle, it comes, it goes, and it feeds into something else. A beautiful example is the forest. A beautiful example is, you know, how the water cycle, which we are taught as kids in schools. Right? So these are examples of it. Now, if we look at the industrial system, it's very linear in nature. Everything is produced, taken from the earth, and then we consume it, we produce it, we consume it, and then what happens after its end life? It goes into the landfill. Right? Very rarely do we find anything which is very readily compostable or it can become food for the soil or the water or any of the life that we see around. Right? So zero waste living is essentially an understanding of these two systems and then adopt, adopting or picking up products, picking up, picking up things that you want to use every day 
so that you're not making it linear. You're getting into the circular system. So that's what it really means. It's very simple as that. It's about coming back to the circle. So nature is cyclical in nature. It's circular in nature. So that's that's all that it means. It doesn't mean anything more than that. Okay, because I yeah. know a lot of people think about it. You know, being like, okay, not uh, producing only a little bit of waste, and then I wonder mm -hmm. what happens to the rest of it. Coming mm -hmm. back to permaculture, what exactly mm -hmm. is the? <laughs> So permaculture is essentially, you know, creating a self-sustaining ecosystem where you're mimicking forests. Right? Okay. If you look at a forest, um, every organism in a forest has a function, right? And uh, it's it's a, it's about diversity. It's never mono. You would not see just one kind of a tree everywhere. You know, it's a lot of diversity. You would see these guilds coming together, where it, wherein the smallest and the shortest plant would be right in the front. Followed by a slightly taller one, a slightly taller one, and the biggest tree right in the middle, right? Yeah. So there's an order to it. There is a certain design to to a forest, right? So when you start mimicking that, and when you start applying it to your own, let's say, piece of land or your home, in order to create a self-sustaining system or a design, that is permaculture, right? Permaculture also is permanent agriculture. Wherein you're not really industrializing the whole effort of food growing and sustenance, but it's a very natural way where everything comes together and in harmony, you know, generates food for not just humans but for everything which is there in the in the ecosystem. Um, so permaculture really operates on three practices. One is earth care, three values rather, or ethics. So one is earth care, second is people care, and the third is fair share. So earth care meaning before you take anything from the soil, you give to the soil first. So soil rejuvenation, water harvesting, and you know the nitrogen fixing, and um, you know everything falls under earth care. Then uh, uh, the second one is people care. People care meaning it's not just about me if I'm on a piece of land. It's about my community because if my community grows, I grow too. And so it's about constant exchange with the community. So that's the second bit. The third is fair share. Fair share means everything, you know, around the farm, all organisms are coming together in order to produce that single fruit, for example, right? So it's not just me who has a share, you know, who has the right to that fruit, but all organisms have a share to that fruit. So what I would do is on a permaculture farm typically is if I, let's say, grow tomatoes, all right? So if I grow tomatoes, I'll ensure and I'll take maybe 50% of the tomatoes for my own consumption and my family or for whatever purpose and the remaining 50% or maybe 25% I leave for the insects and the birds or give it back as fodder and feed and so on and so forth. Right? Similarly, I do that with the community as well. So there's a, there's a good exchange of food or whatever, you know, uh, is, is generated on the soil. So that's fair share. So that really is permaculture. So when you start living in harmony with everything, where everything is feeding into each other, and you know, you're not just siloed, where you're just consuming, but you're also giving back. And everything has a function uh, in a permaculture system. So Someone that's what it means. Does going zero waste mean that the only waste we create is biodegradable? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. For example, if you're um, so I've done this uh, little video on, um, you know, un understanding everyday packaging. So when you look at packaging, there is a huge, um, so every mostly everything is plastic these days, right? 
So when I talk about zero waste living, it would mean that you very consciously see, okay, which packaging is recyclable versus which packaging is just going to go into the landfill. All right. So I pick packaging. Hmm? Yeah, there is a similar to it. So there's category one to seven plastic. So you consciously pick category one and two, and you leave the rest out, right? So what you can do then is once your category one and two plastic is over, which is your PET bottles or HDPA bottles, you can then give it to the kabadiwala so that it's recycled and and recreated or uh, repurposed into um, plastic pellets. So those plastic pellets can be reused to make more plastic instead of you know using petrochemicals or fossil fuel in order to get that. Um, so that is also zero waste. Zero waste does not necessarily mean just biodegradable. It's best if it's that, but it's about reusing, repurposing, recycling as well. Recyclability of a product also, where you're not just looking at you know the the end of life as just I finish the product and that's it. No, you're looking at it beyond that. Meaning you know after it's finished, what is happening to it even after? So that's what zero waste means. Yeah. So for those of you who just joined in, this is take sixteen of stories with Shastri, and we're talking to Anu Sirotha, who <laughs> is the founder of Swadharani uh, Conscious Living, and uh, she's here to teach us about what sustainability and zero waste actually means. If you have questions, <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> yes, but it is the essentially what you're doing. So. Uh, if you have any questions about going zero waste or living sustainably, you have to comment and let us know. Uh, okay, so what were the first few changes you made to your daily routine, and which was the most difficult one to adapt to? Sure. So I think I already mentioned it. So composting was the easiest. All right, because um, it's very straightforward. You know that whatever um, you know, kitchen waste is left. It would mostly be your organic waste. Right. So when I say organic waste, it is cooked food as well as raw food. Okay. So um, so both are compostable. However, it, for us, you know, because it was the first time we were doing it, we just went with just raw food. So that was the first thing that we tried our hands at, which is creating a compost uh, pit. And um, these days, there's everything is available over the internet. So we just went, we googled it, and you know, we watched a few YouTube videos and so on. So we started with composting. That was the first bit. Um, along with that, we were also experimenting with a lot of food growing. So whatever you know from the raw veg. One is that you know because we were making compost at home. Home, uh, a lot of the plants and saplings would come from the compost itself because there would be a lot of seeds. But the other thing that we were doing is we were exchanging a lot of plants. So with Sada Anjali, we would exchange a lot of plants. We would go to our favorite, you know, pastime was just going to the nursery and getting plants, or else yeah. you know saving some chili so that we could you know put the put the seeds or basil seeds and this that and everything. So we were just experimenting a lot with food growing. Uh, that was the second bit. I think um, what I did personally was when I was very sure I wanted to do this is I started looking at my house and seeing. One was I looked at myself. I said I want to do it first, and then is when I can start talking to the about with my family. Because you would know this, right? The 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 worst people to change are your own people. So um, or the most difficult to change are your own people. So I said, okay, let me just do it myself and then see. So I looked at you know my environment and I said okay so there's the kitchen, there's the bathroom, there's my uh, you know my own space which is my room and then there is everything else. 
so then i started looking at one or two things here there i said okay what are those things that directly i can handle and control in the kitchen what directly i can handle and control in the bathroom and so on so that's where you know the composting happened the food habits changed the second was when i looked at the bathroom it was my own personal care products so i started making my own body butter my own toothpaste so the first uh, recipe that i experimented was the most common one which is the soda and the coconut oil with some essential oil and then i also experimented with my own you know hair care which was i stopped using shampoos and this that so i just used uh, the retam lashika tai you know the the regular one so um those were some of the changes that i made and so the point being that and then my cupboard i went uh so 333 is what i started using i mean, i still remember very vividly you know this bunch of friends coming home and then see they see all of my clothes on the floor and they're like are you going somewhere are you leaving the house i said no i'm just you know downsizing and going with 333 33 sets of uh, or 33 accessories and clothes for 3 months that's what i'm going to do and that's my minimum take on it So I'm still doing that. My cupboard is still very neatly arranged. It still has, I think, maximum fifty items of clothing and accessories, everything included. And and I don't buy unnecessarily, and I'm happy with what I'm, you know, what I have. And most of the stuff is cotton. So those are certain rules that I made for myself. And yeah, so these were a few shifts that I made. As a family, um, you know, uh, since everybody is very conscious about generating waste and this that. so mostly they are in tune that you know they have to um, you know no ordering out or, or if they order out you know they basically can we practice in a dabba of our own otherwise mama will shout at home you know and carrying our own bags i think yeah carrying your own bag that also is was one of the simplest thing to do so that's also we started yeah that's where we are right now to the extent that my bakery wala which is right yeah. outside To everybody else, he supplies in packets. But for me, he nicely wraps the bread loaf of bread in a paper, patiently, and he asks me, "Do you want anything else in paper, or do you have your own dabba?" So he now knows. So I've done that kind of relationship building with people around. Even the 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 lady who supplies vegetables from her hydroponics farm, she tries to get me you know, in a paper cut bag. instead of a plastic bag and so on so yeah so you just need to be very open about the fact that you need a lifestyle can you help with it and most of the people are helpful they understand so what was the most difficult change to adapt to oh it was getting the uh, the seeds and the pulses and the rice and the wheat oh organic yeah. you know you have a lot of you have these regular kirana stores which stock up on you know khula chutta groceries uh but then getting organic from these groceries or finding uh, you know uh, package free uh, dal chawal and all of that that's that's very difficult so there are a couple of stores in pune right now that have opened up but still they're not very consistent with their supplies um so that's been the most i say we are the most difficult part i still have to look at the plastic packaging most of the times and and not happy with that so that yeah, mm-hmm. is that a little more difficult right now with the lockdown to find it is it is very difficult right now yeah it is so i kind of let go of organic for now so um i have these 5 kg plastic bags that i've saved from 
the previous purchases uh, those could be your you know basmati rice packaging or something and i and i have no shame in going and asking my neighbor do you have like a five kg packet can i use it please so i just take them to the kirana store and i say can you fill this for me or i take my dabbas with me and i say can you fill this for me so i've let go of the organic part for now um yeah so i think it's also being adaptive at the same time how much you can stay with your lifestyle so yeah i think i think that's there too uh what about so you say that uh when you say conscious living is conscious mm-hmm. living different from uh sustainable living or is it same thing so they they actually dovetail into each other sanga um so conscious living if i have to un- you know the way i understand it is essentially mindful living right so where you're mindful of your choices you're mindful of the consequences of your choices and then you go ahead with that so that's you know mindful living and i think that is what conscious living is also where it's not just i think a step ahead is the mindfulness also comes from the fact that you're empathetic to not just your own situation but you're more inclusive you know you you understand you are more inclusive to the surroundings to the community to the general ecosystems to all other life on on you know whatever surrounds you so i think that is what conscious living is and and sustainable living yes it's being more mindful um of your choices of your lifestyle and the consequences that have um having said that um i do feel that you know it could become mainstream and people don't necessarily have to be mindful or conscious if these options are available to them off the shelf and as and when they need them and are made more accessible and uh, um uh, right now people don't have a choice right um so the choice is that you know you go to uh, let's say a grocery store and if you want to clean your toilets you only have a harpic yeah right but if let's say if the government comes down with a policy that you know it's not harpic we're not doing harpic because it's it's or okay i shouldn't be using maybe the brand name i don't care about okay but uh, you know we're coming up with you know we can't use these anymore because they're harming the ecosystems and we only need a, a readily biodegradable or a gentler option for toilets right yeah. so then even an unconscious person or person who doesn't know anything about uh, you know any of this lifestyle they start going and adopt it right so yeah. while on one level it is about uh, consciousness and i think that is what is needed in order to push forth sustainable living uh, push forth uh, policy changes push forth uh, lifestyle changes in people in communities but after a given point in time if there is enough adoption of this kind of a lifestyle if there are enough alternatives and enough government um what do you say focus on this it could be something which even a person who's like an everyday person can take it up you don't have to be mindful about it it's just an option that you need to do right so in today's yeah. world uh, how would you i mean as of now since we don't have a uh, particular policy that pushes for this as strongly as we would hope um, mm-hmm. how do you explain sustainable living like how do you define it and how do you explain the mm-hmm. need for living sustainably to someone whose lifestyle is actually quite the stark opposite uh i mean that's that's really difficult because you know there's someone who said um and um someone who said this that you know a person who's asleep you can wake that person up 
But a person who's pretending to sleep, how do you wake that person up? Right? Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, it's that kind of a situation. I think everybody knows that the climate is changing. Everybody knows that there's enough pollution everywhere. Everybody knows that the, that the rivers are gone, right? So um, I think the gap is that they don't understand the impact of, uh, you know, or, or enough information about why that is happening because the blame is still that the industries are doing it. These big people are doing it. Nobody's saying, you know, I'm doing it every day. You know, 30 liters of undiluted toxic waste from each household every year. You know, that's the statistic. So if you're just able to hold back that 30, that 30 liters and that 30 liters multiplied by 10 liters of water every day because we're mixing it in so much water, right? And if you have a larger house, then of course you can multiply it by that much. But um, uh, so that's the gap, I think. Um, and uh, hopefully there are enough people, uh, enough organizations who would be working towards bridging that gap. Um, so I think it's not about, so people know it. I think the people are just waiting for, uh, you know, there are several reasons, Sangha. There's the reason of price, there's the reason of access to such alternatives, there's the reason of, you know, trust as well. And then there's the reason of people not knowing enough. So if we're able to address all four, I think we should be able to nail it. Otherwise, uh, any one of these misses and, you know, it'll be difficult. That's, that's how I look at it. We have a question that asks, hmm. how much do you see the alternative energy, especially the solar sector, increasing in India with the expected? I think there are already, um, the government has already rolled out uh, subsidies and, uh, you know, certain incentives for uh, using renewable resources or renewable energy. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, what is the percentage, but it's, it is already in place. Um, the, the, the thing now is that, you know, it's a little expensive and then it is away from your regular mainstream. So, um, you know, they need, and then there are not very many players as well in the field. So, um, with a push for the climate change, with a push for the, 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 the climate change summit and the sustainability goals that, um, uh, that have been put together, I think it, we should see more and more adoption. But then again, you know, with the whole pandemic, we're also seeing that the government is, you know, going ahead with certain projects which are the opposite of saving the environment and ecology. So while we, we see, well, I've seen and I've read that you know, there are these subsidies which are available, there are incentives which are available for renewable resources, and uh, it's going to pick up. But at the same time, there are these uh, indicators which tells that, you know, economy will take precedence over anything to do with energy or anything to do with the uh, environment. So I think it, we just need to wait and watch. I don't know. I don't want to predict anything on that. Um, but I think, you know, as individuals, we can definitely go ahead and we look at those. Forms of energy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you have, so what, okay, how about this? Do you think it's, uh, there's enough information available for someone who wants to, you know, make a little difference available online for them to start at home? Or is it something difficult to find because of so many resources and so many resources mm -hmm. 
and the word organic being thrown around very lightly. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question, Sandra. Yeah, the, the, there are enough resources available and there are enough people to guide as well. You know, there's a growing community. For example, um, when I attended the permaculture program, I wasn't the only one, right? There were 35 other people and these people were from urban centers. There were, there were people from the rural, rural centers as well. But there were a lot of people who were there from the urban centers. And 25, and then before that, 50 people had gone through the um, permaculture. So it's a growing, so I'm, I'm one of the, uh, one, part of one of the permaculture groups on Facebook. And there are 50,000 people on that group. Right? So it's not that there aren't enough resources, there aren't enough people. I think it's just a matter of individually how motivated are you to go ahead and look out for it. Okay, so um, if any of you is really interested, there are a lot of resources on sadharani.org. Um, Sangha, if you can share the link with everyone. It, it really gives you, uh, there are demo videos, there are, in, there's information. We're running this 26 uh, days of type, so 26 ideas of living sustainably. So we've already shared 14 ideas of living sustainably. And uh, in the next few, few weeks, we'll be sharing the rest of them as well. If you really want to go ahead, you know, just just go ahead and explore those resources. There's there's YouTube, there is there is the internet, there are blogs. There are a lot of people who are doing that. So you're not alone in this. Um, you know, there's Swadharini uh, on Insta as well. You can you can subscribe to that. I don't know. So and there are a lot of other organizations like Swadharini who are doing that also. And yeah, so there is enough. Sangha. So we have someone. <laughs> we have someone who's asked, uh, "How does a nation balance between uh, economic progress and industrial development?" Keeping yeah. So thank you for that question because um, you know. Uh, so I do a lot of these posts on LinkedIn as well. So this was so just to get the you know influential community who actually who actually, you know, who are consultants to these big organizations and who are, you know, CEOs themselves and so on. So this was one of the questions that I posed to them that, you know, can you can you ask not, you know, just, you know, what are my goals and objectives? But can you also, you know, go ahead and ask that these are my goals and objectives, but am I a part of the inner circle? So when I say inner circle, it means am I a part of the inner circle of the planet? Or do I consider myself to be, you know, an alien being as human and alien? I'm not a part of the ecosystem. So, you know, a very interesting thing that came up was during the discussions was so far we looked at industry and environment as two separate entities, right? But the idea about sustainability is it's not this or that. It is about bringing the two together and seeing, you know, how can it coexist. So one of the things about sustainability and especially sustainable designs or or designing for sustainable solutions, you know, in whichever field, you know, some of you would be designers, some of you would be industrial designers, some of you would be architects, some of you would be, you know, you are in different fields. The point is that each field allows us to look at sustainability as a as an opportunity to solve a particular problem, right? And um, what that means is that uh, can I keep cultural um, and social and environmental factors together in order to come up with a solution? And uh, I, I'd like to recommend a very uh, good book, I mean, a book that I've read, and it's it's beautiful, and it introduces uh, the concept of um, you know sustainable 
um, sustainability for environment as well as industries and economy is cradle to cradle. I don't know whether any of you have heard about it, but it's called cradle to cradle. The other book is biomimetry, right? So if you look at everything that we've designed so far, it everything mimics nature, right? So the yes. solutions are there in nature. So when we look at economy, um, you know, it's about coming up. What is economy really? It's about the industrial processes that we take, the pursuits that we take up for economic gains, and and those pursuits are industrial in nature. They're services in nature, right? It's, it's about services or industry, correct? So it's about can you design that industry keeping environment as well in the, in mind? A very good example is uh, you know if you look at Pune. Pune had this beautiful architecture, you know, these these varas and these homes and so on, right? Yeah. But can you see any of that in the modern day? Can you see any of those designs in the modern day? You can't, right? It's like a slab of a building which is rectangular, maybe just, you know, some conical shape coming out from somewhere or the other. But imagine if we could use that design which took care that, you know, that during the summers it's going to be cool from the inside, during the winters it's going to be warm from the inside. You know, there was a lot of science behind these buildings, behind these designs, right? The ventilation was taken care of and so on and so forth, right? Most of yeah, the roofs were such... Yeah, exactly. Imagine just adopting that cultural ethos, you know, and then thinking about, okay, so can we use that in order to construct, um, you know, let's say a building that can house 500 people? It's not difficult. It's a, it's a design challenge, right? And then instead of putting a slab roof, like a flat roof, it just absorbs heat, makes everything hotter all through the day. Using materials, which just heats up everything. You need air conditioners, and those air conditioners throw out more heat in yeah. the environment. It's, it's like a vicious circle, right? But these designs, the cultural designs, they always have all of this in mind. It's about adopting that. It's not about one size fits all. You know, sustainable design is about um, customizing it to culture, the what what um, to the environment, and also um, you know the the you know and the and the social uh, aspect of that particular place, and then coming up with with a particular design or a solution for it. But the problem is that you know, and you can come to that only if you look at both together. When you try to marry the two, it's not either or, it is both together. You have to bring right. both together. And I think, you know, it's, I'm so happy that you brought this question up because it kind of, you know, I hope it's food for thought for all of you, whoever, you know, the seven people who are watching us right now, that, you know, it is about bringing both together. It is not about either or, you know, if you want to use a shampoo for your hair because you're getting split ends, you know, it is not either or. Either you get a natural shampoo or you can get a chemical-based shampoo which is packed in a pet bottle. You know, it's about a combination. Choose a shampoo which is gentle, not just for your hair but also the environment and there are options available. There are DIYs which are available. Just be ready to, you know, look for a solution for the problems. That's all. Yeah. So, do you... Uh do you think it's a lot of hard work to live sustainably when you're, you know, from a generation that is so used to plastic and so used to convenience and mm -hmm. we're so used to plastic for keeping used to it for decades and all I like. Mm. So, do you think it's a lot of hard work? 
I would say yes, and I would say no. Yes, if um, you know, if you do not have a clear dem demarcation of what is a need and a want, then it's very difficult. But if you know very clearly what is a need, what is your need, and you're okay to be with your needs, and you're okay to let go of things which are not essential for you, then it's not difficult at all. So, um, yeah. So, so it's a yes and a no. But I, I um, there's no straightforward answer to that. Um, but depending on people. So, if you have very little needs and your essentials is a very small list, I would say it's easy. But if you have an expansive list of you know, desires and wants and essentials. Uh, then it's going to be a difficult journey, for sure. But then, if you're willing to take that journey, even if it's difficult, so you can start looking at one thing at a time and, you know, taking it off your list. It'll take longer, and you need more patience with yourself. And one of the things that I always uh, say to people who want to go on a journey is just be patient with yourself. You can't go zero waste, in, you know, in the word go. It doesn't happen that way. You have to give yourself time. You have to prioritize what you want to let go, not let go. And as humans, I think it's okay for us to desire, you know, to, to have non-essentials also as essentials. It's fine. It's very relative. But yeah, it can be a long-run process. It will take more time. Um, yeah, and that's, that's it. Okay. We have a question that says, do you think laws should be enacted to control the human population explosion to help environmental impacts? Yes. 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 Absolutely. I think if you know, again, someone, someone um, that I look up to had said, and I, and I completely agree with it. This, uh, with it is that if the, if we've taken responsibility and if we've taken control of our death, then it's high time we took control and responsibility for the birth as well. So, yeah, we should. That's, yeah. that's a good. Point. Uh, what are some little? What are the little changes that we can make in our daily routine, keeping in mind the pandemic now, but even beyond it and the mm -hmm. lockdown? Uh, what are some you know changes we can make to our daily routine to make a little bit of a difference? Okay, little bit of a difference. Um, one, two things. I can give you two things. Okay. Um, the first thing is uh, make a bioenzyme. It's okay. very simple. Okay, make a bioenzyme. A bioenzyme has the potential to replace your cleaning agents at home. One, it's one solution. It's like a what, what was that word? Uh, Brahmast. You know, it's yeah. like a Brahmast. So yeah. you can use it for cleaning. You can use it for hair. You can use it for your dishes. You can use it for your laundry. Okay, so. Um, one is, one is just invest a little time and it doesn't take much long. It just take ten, it takes 10 minutes. You just need three ingredients. Uh, I'll share the link with Sangamitra uh, for the demo of it. Make one bioenzyme. Uh, experiment with it. The second thing I would say is that place, um, I'm not sure, I mean, this should be by now, it should, everyone should be doing this, which is place a bag in your two wheeler or in your four wheeler. You know, just place one, um, your cloth bag for your shopping, just in case you feel like, you know, I need to go shopping today. I know most of us are, uh, we are in a lockdown and we can't go out, but still, you know, as the movements are going to start, just do that bit. 
which is uh, invest in a good cloth bag. Um, other than that, I think uh, yeah, these two things. I said only two. There are more that I can share, but right now I just share these two. The bioenzyme for sure because it it really helps reducing the toxicity levels that that uh, leaves that enters as well as leaves your hair. So do so that. Yeah. Basic ingredients, if you could please tell us. Yeah, so the basic ingredient is essentially the fruit waste from your kitchen. So it would be a fruit peels. So when you say fruit peels, um, look at citric fruit peels like your lemon peels or your orange peels or pineapple peels, uh, watermelon peels. Uh, do not go for anything which could be colored like a beetroot or a papaya or a banana and all of that. Don't go for that because it could, you know, the smell could be a little off and also it leaves stains. But you can go for the citric options. Uh, you need jaggery, jaggery powder. If you can't find jaggery powder, molasses is fine or is brown sugar. And then the third is water, just these three ingredients. But you will need patience because it takes 90 days. The first batch takes 90 days, but the subsequent batches take around 20 to 30 days, not more than that. Okay. Uh, someone just asked, uh, I understand the antenatal argument too, which is in tandem with the previous question that we had. Uh, no. But wouldn't birth regulation rights infringe reproductive rights? What do you have to say about that? Birth regulation rights infringe reproductive rights. I'm sorry, it's it's out of my... I need to read up about it. I, so someone had asked me in, on my opinion, I just shared it. But I need to read up about what rights these are. So I, I don't I'm, I'm know. Reproductive rights in the sense of the right to, you know, be able to just say, okay, reproduce. I, have, I have the right to reproduce, yeah. Yeah, of course, go ahead and reproduce, but, uh, uh, so again, you know, it's a very, it's a difficult question to answer, you know, my view could be very different from another person's view. Um, so it's about being mindful that, you know, the reason, if you want to have one child, I mean, fine. If you have want to have two children, okay. If you want to have three children, so, okay. Here's the deal. Anyone who, so one child I understand. I have one child, okay. And I love him to bits, okay. Though, okay, I'm not getting to the history, but yeah, I have one child and I love him to bits. The moments everyone started talking to me about the second child, the reason was given was, you know, you know, you need a person who can, you know, play with your first one. Yeah. Who will give him company when you were gone? And, you know, the reasons really did not make any sense to me. Uh, that is also the reason that a lot of other parents give that, you know, uh, it's a com it's company for the first child, for the other child. I don't know. I don't buy into that explanation. Is the person going to be a better person than you are as an individual? Is the person going to make uh, you know, an impact more than you, you or you've made in your lifetime, go ahead, as many children, because we need people like those. But if the child is going to be just, you know, a replication of what we are, if they're better than us, absolutely, go ahead. If they're the same as us, the same kind of mistakes that we're making right now. I know it's a little harsh, and but that's what I feel, and I hope it's a yeah. candid conversation. You can edit it out. <laughs> you can pause me right now. You can throw me out of there. <laughs> we have a conversation. <laughs> no, that's not that's not a problem. Uh, so we have a question saying: Can this bioenzyme be used in washing machines? 
Of course, it can be used in washing machines. Yes, we it can be. So, bioenzyme is really a, um, it's an enzyme, right? Your vinegar is an enzyme, but this one is more diverse than a vinegar. And um, vinegar is used like for mopping. It's used for dishes. It's used for laundry with a good essential oil. So yes, it can be used for washing machine. The only thing is that you may want to use soap nuts as one of your ingredients if you want to use it for washing machines because there will be some soap onification, meaning you'll see some lather and some cleaning activity with it. So yeah, it can be used for washing machines as well. Okay, what are your thoughts on veganism? I have no thoughts on veganism. I have thoughts on veganism. As a sustainable lifestyle. Okay. Okay. So I look at it from a sustainability perspective. If you're a vegan, okay, and you're getting all of these fruits and vegetables, you know, packed in these single plastic packets, like yeah. one capsicum in one packet. What's the point? What's the point of being a vegan? Right, so I, I look at it from that perspective. For me, I mean, you can be a vegan. You can also be a non-vegetarian for, uh, you know, you can be a non-vegetarian. You can have eggs, you can have meat, right? But at the same time, have you thought about, you know, the before and after of that meat? How it was produced? Was it produced using sustainable practices? And how is it going to get disposed of tomorrow? Right, so, so for me, it's that question. It is not about... So I don't have any thoughts on veganism, honestly. I'm a vegetarian. Um, I don't I don't even eat eggs. Uh, but I use dairy. Uh, and while I know that dairy is something that, you know, if I'm, a if I'm a naturalist, then dairy doesn't make sense because it's something that is, that is um, for the calf or, the, or you know, something for the, the animal's baby. It's, I'm not an animal baby. I'm a human baby. And therefore, the milk that I got was, was more suitable to me. So from that perspective, I understand it. But at the same time, um, I think that's where the cultural and the social ethos also come into play. Um, so I don't have anything to comment about when it comes to veganism, except the fact that if it's a sustainable process, you're, it's grown sustainably and it's disposed of sustainably, go ahead. Okay. So I recently saw, actually last night in fact, uh, I was on Pinterest and I love my Pinterest and I was, uh, there was this little bit because uh, like I told you, I was trying to, you know, bring some life to dead soil in my house. So mm -hmm. uh, somehow my Pinterest decided to show me this little chart about how you can look at leaves and uh, you can decide, you know, what is wrong with them, whether there's a zinc deficiency or a potassium deficiency or a nitrogen deficiency or calcium. And you put it up and uh, you can add particular types of waste to it, mm. for example. Mm. Is that something that actually works? It does work because it's a controlled, your pot is a controlled environment. Right. And um, the reason I talked about diversity earlier, you know, from permaculture perspective is because when you look at diversity, it means different nutrition is coming together. Right. Mm -hmm. So if one plant is high on, you know, consuming nitrogen, there would be another plant that would be growing next to it, which would be a nitrogen fixer and so on. But if we look at urban gardening or gardening in our balconies, for example, or, you know, gardening in pots, because that's what we do. It's a controlled environment and therefore the nutrition in the soil may not be very high, right? And if we're growing 
a particular kind of plant in that. Say, for example, if we have rows and rows of tomatoes in it, right? Yeah. So there would be a certain deficiency of a certain nutrient that the tomato plant requires. Right? So that's where um, multiple planting comes into play or, com or companion planting comes into play. So with a, with a tomato plant basil, you know, for example, pot. in the same pot, right? Yeah. And that's where, you know, you can't overpopulate the tomatoes as well. So right now I have a pot and, and you know, it's a big pot, but at the same time, I... Um, the last time I transplanted the tomatoes into it, I put five together. And now the ones at the back, they're taller and the ones in the front, they're suffering. So which means I need to remove them and place them in a separate pot. Okay. So a, a lot of, yes, you're right. You can actually um, make up for the deficiencies. So not just meat and all of this, it's buttermilk. You can use buttermilk, you can use coffee. Coffee is the most common, I think, that you would have heard. No, Coffee ground, yeah. You put coffee in, in the, yeah, especially plants like rose, they love coffee. And um, so you just plant, you look at companion planting. Uh, don't, and uh, uh, yeah, so you grow different plants together so that they're helping each other out with the nutrition. Then you don't need, you know, these kind of um, options as well because they look after each other. And the other part is whatever, um, uh, you know, whatever dry leaf or whatever comes off the pot, you just leave it there because that acts as mulch and also increases the organic content of the soil, right? So when it's mulch, mulch essentially is where you're covering the soil layer with another layer of organic material. It could be straw, it could be coconut coir, it could be a fruit and vegetable waste, it could be grass, um, not, not green grass, okay, but dry grass. Um, so what you're doing is you're retaining the, so the soil moisture in it and at the bottom there is humus also creating because there's decomposition happening of the, um, of the mulch on the top. And also it is bringing back nutrients to the soil. So when you're potting, yes, go ahead for those. But at the same time, you also have these practices which help you maintain the soil quality. So one is companion planting, the second is mulching. And the third is compost. You create your own compost at home. Um, so there are uh, enough ways of composting even meat. You can compost meat and you can use that in your soil. So yeah. What you read was right. In essence. I'm, I'm still confused. How does coffee help? How does coffee help? I'm just putting it in the soil. And, um, I think it's the carbon content in coffee. I need to research a little more, but I know that you know it, it also helps. So for me, essentially everything goes in the compost pit. So I've not really looked at you know individual what nutrients and everything. But I know that if my tomato has a has a tomato rot, you know, at the uh, has a rot something which then I need to put some calcium in it, so I put some buttermilk in it. Um, so yeah, just. <laughs> How, how difficult was it, so this is my last question for today, huh. is that how, was it challenging to uh, help uh, or you know introduce this concept and make, some, make your previous generation accept it or was it more difficult to get the next generation to accept it? For example, your parents and they died, your son. For my, it was difficult for my parents, very difficult for my parents and my in-laws as well. To even moving to organic was very difficult. And I think there it was more trust issue. 
so more than anything one is that they are habitual of doing things they were habitual of doing things and then the second was trust which is how do you know this is going to be organic and if you are buying it right how do you know it's organic so yes it's difficult uh, to explain it to them uh, i think that's where you need to put your foot down and you know you you try all sorts of ways and you know, some are gentle ways some are some some are stern ways but if you yourself are very clear about what you want to do and how you want to live um, it becomes easier and especially if you are able to demonstrate that lifestyle that it's possible to do it it becomes easier yeah with vedan because you know i think right now there's so much in the media and the news and there's a lot of uh, information that's going out from various sources and plus he's been seeing me you know through his growing up years he knows that you know we can't get plastic we can't use plastic that bad it has to be the glass or steel we can't use you know any he he reads packaging actually he reads the packaging yeah. and he says does it have an fsci yeah and the second question and he says can you tell me what chemical this is so he reads the packaging and that's because he seen me doing it so he's okay with it in fact he helps me also sometimes when i'm stuck with something and i say vidan what should i do now he tries to help me problem solve it especially when it comes to the products side of sadharini and um, so yeah he's quite aware quite tuned in um yeah so it's easier with him but for the with the previous generation it took a little time I think it will take some time for that people. Yeah, but, yeah. That brings us to the end of this. Thank <laughs> you so much for agreeing to do this for me. You're this welcome. So much fun, and I learned a lot. I mean, I didn't the coffee thing. I'm going to look up now. <laughs> yeah, do look up coffee, and do do look up. You know, there are people who make. I haven't tried that, but they they make the compost with corn and um, you know whatever shrimp and fish waste that is left. and the thion minerals so that also is is made but yeah go oh, ahead wow. yeah thank you so much for coming all of you You're welcome. Uh, check thank you so much <laughs> yes thank you and so uh, much sangamitra for having me here it was a joy <laughs> thanks everyone for being there and All the best for your sustainable journey. If you have any questions, please feel free. So I think it's okay if you want to connect with me. Um, Sangamitra can share the contact and uh, do try the the bioenzyme and the black bag. Okay. Bye. 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 So that was Anu, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I tried to sit on my bed today, but I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how to. Fix the size of the phone because if I can do this or if I do this, I need to go down there. I don't know, but uh, Anu is can be reached at Swadharani, which is S W A D H W A R A N I. I'll be tagging her on this post and check out her work. And if you have any questions, she's always going to be there to help. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this session and uh, had fun. 